All right, welcome to the Spencer Fernando Show. Our guest today is Mark Petroni, host of the Mark Petroni Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Mark has worked as a political reporter for CTV and Sun News, and he was the CRTC commissioner from 2008 to 2013. Mark brings hard-hitting analysis to his growing legion of viewers and followers, and he's one of Canada's most honest voices about the serious challenges facing our nation. Mark, it's great to have you with us today. Well, it's so kind of you to uh, give me that introduction, Spencer. It's great being on your show. You've been on mine many times in the past, and I've always enjoyed our discussion. So great to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. So we we all start talking about the I think the CPC leadership race. It looks like that's heating up. You've got uh, Polyev obviously got in first. Now Lesa Lewis is going to run. Apparently Patrick Brown and then Jean Charest. So what are your thoughts on how it's shaping up so far? You know what? That's a pretty good lineup. I'm glad that it's not a coronation. That it's uh, not going to be one strong candidate and then a couple of also rans uh it looks like it's going to be a, a battle for the soul of the party in my opinion i don't want to i don't want to build it up into something that it's not but clearly you have people who want to take the party in different directions a guy like pierre Poilievre, well known as a uh, consistent conservative voice not a johnny come lately like uh, aaron o'toole was a guy who has fluctuated all over the ideological map eventually decided he would run as a conservative as a true blue a tory and uh, once he got in a lot of people felt betrayed that they got this kind of bait and switch um you know strategy by uh, o'toole and we had 17 months of somebody who didn't talk like a conservative very often and sounded more like uh, a guy who was leaning the party left or center as much as is humanly possible, thinking that that was going to be his ticket to winning an election. Didn't turn out that way. And uh, over time, he was punished and eventually be, uh, you know, booted out. So I think what we're seeing now is uh, kind of a, a match between ideological um, uh, differences, so <laughs> differences of opinion, if you want to call it that, between a guy like Paul Yev, uh, Sade, who's largely seen as kind of a centrist. Then you have Aaron Leslin, uh, who uh, I think she's going to continue to appeal mm -hmm. to the social conservative wing of the party. And then uh, another interesting character in um, uh, Brown, Patrick Brown, who's uh, currently the mayor of Brampton, clearly has his eye on bigger things, uh, ran into a scandal when he was uh, leader of the PC party of Ontario, uh, ended up um, being accused of all sorts of things that uh, he, he appears not to have been guilty of. And so got mired into a real mess, ended up uh, losing his grip on the party. And uh, now, of course, we have the situation with, with Doug Ford leading the party and premier of that province. So it's a mixed bag, but uh, not a bad uh, group of people, I think, to be running. I think everybody senses the reason why you've got a strong lineup of people is that uh, People are sensing now that uh, changes in the wing, in the wind, and that Canadians are ready to boot the Liberals out. That, that's why I think you're seeing sort of a group of what I would term as heavyweight uh, contenders for for this uh, for the crown. Mm -hmm. It seems like the uh, a lot of the media establishment is pushing Charest pretty strongly. You know, what are your thoughts on why you think that might be? Well, he's a safe candidate. He's the establishment candidate, in my view, a guy who. Um, is perceived as not not bringing about too too much in the way of change from what the liberals are doing. Okay, so I think the establishment likes 
uh, or just tolerates Trudeau. Trudeau took a lot of money, of taxpayers' money, and uh, moved it into uh, the the media. And so, guess what? They kind of like that. <laughs> they don't want to go back to the bad old days where they didn't have so much tax dollars coming their way. And so, uh, the more dependent the media gets on tax money, then uh, the more reliant they're going to continue being. I mean, perfect example of that is the Toronto Star going cap in hand, demanding, I think it was in the neighborhood of $60 million more. I'd have to go back and check that number. But these are uh, institutions that are teetering on the brink. In many cases, they become dependent on tax dollars. And once you get dependent on tax dollars, well, then you become kind of used to it and you just become part of the machinery. And they all like that. They want to continue being part of the machinery. It's safe. Uh, it's secure for them. They've got a steady cash flow. They don't have to rely on the public, which can be fickle. <laughs> and so what we're seeing is uh, as the party, as the population, as Canadians start looking at uh, the media as with, I think, a, a, a sense of suspicion where, you know, can we really trust these people? Are they giving us the straight goods or are they telling us what they what they believe the government wants us to believe? And so. They're in the market of carrying water for the regime, in my opinion, and in return, they get cash. And so they want to keep that going. Uh, it's a gravy train that uh, they're enjoying. And so that's why I think uh, it is a one reason why I think they're leaning towards a candidate that probably won't shake things up too much. And they see a, a guy, in, a person today whom they think will not take the party too far right in their view and hence and which represents change you know mm -hmm. but is the change candidate uh Shade is the status quo candidate in my view so you see him as someone who would be likely to keep all of the subsidies for the media and the media bailouts in place if he got in yeah i think so um i, I think aaron o'toole uh, he fudged as well i mean <laughs> first he railed on against for instance, vowing to get rid of the scrap to CBC, they throw this stuff out because they know it's uh, it's catnip for a certain type of of, uh, of conservative, and uh, and then after a while they they begin to uh, fudge their positions, and next thing you know they're all in on not only protecting the CBC but uh, continuing the subsidies. I I'm pretty sure that sub that a guy like Shade would continue on with the money, you know, keep the keep the flow going to those organizations. With a guy like uh, Paul Yev, well, not so certain, right? He is saying all the kinds of things that conservatives want to hear, but it's not that he's a recent convert, you know, to the cause. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the big thing, and I raised this on my show. Uh, Paul Yev uh, is not a guy who just put on his conservative shirt in order to show it off, in order to gain <laughs> support. Whereas Shade recently came out in an interview with the Globe and Mail and said, I'm running as a conservative. Well, I would suggest that nobody really cares what you're running as. They care who you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Jean Shade needs to understand that, that we've been burned already with people like Doug Ford, with people like Aaron O'Toole. And uh, I think conservatives are ready for the real thing. And if they don't get it, well, I think uh, the next election could be the one in which the PPC actually makes serious inroads. And I'm talking about winning seats. They're up to 800,000 votes. 
were they to double that, and I think they would be in the money in terms of being a, a serious force in, in elections to come. So I, I, to me, this is make or break time for the Tories. They better get it right or else. Yeah, there's also the generational aspect, which I find interesting. You know, you look at some of the recent polls and the conservatives are doing much better among young people than they have in quite some time. And I think a lot of that is both the the convoy and the restrictions. You know, uh, young people were hit hardest by a lot of that. And they're not too happy and they associate that with the liberals. And then Polyev has also been talking a lot about, uh, you know, the affordability issues, you know, even before what we're seeing the last few days. I mean, prices have been totally out of control. And so, you know, I think I'd be concerned if, you know, Sheree got in, you know, he's, he's going to campaign on his, you know, reputation as a, you know, premier and his past in the PC party. For a lot of young people, though, it's just going to look like a retread of someone who they really haven't heard of and don't know much about. So I wonder if if they pick him, they'd be missing a real opportunity to perhaps reshape the political spectrum. Yeah, it's interesting about uh, young people. This is an economic issue for them, and I think they probably see some of the promises from the left as having gone unfulfilled. I'm talking about things like you know, uh, wiping out student debt and things like mm-hmm. that and free tuition and you know all these types of things that the hard left has been talking about. Still a lot of talk out there about universal basic income. I think the liberals <laughs> want to bring it in over time, but they haven't done it yet. But, you know, I, I happen to think it's coming. But uh, I think there is some disenchantment. And so, um, you know, amongst young people, they see is maybe, uh, I think that is fodder for conservatives. I mean, uh, my understanding, and I don't have any facts to back it up, but I have heard that the latest generation generation Z is maybe quite a bit more conservative than uh, say the previous ones the millennials were and so maybe it's uh, maybe it's the time that that conservatives can actually capitalize on that group of people but i think they should be unapologetic about their conservative views uh, and sadly we haven't seen that in quite some time whereby uh, successive leaders now have been people who seem to almost be to be apologetic about being conservatives. Yeah, we're conservatives, but, you know, we're softer and we believe in climate change and, you know, we're believing these types of rights for those people. And, and um, you know, I don't think they need to be afraid anymore. And I, I think what we're seeing out of Paul Yev is good because not only is he a firm believer in what he says, but he's also extremely articulate and forceful about it. He's an unapologetic conservative. He's a guy who stands up for what he believes in. And so when you put that together in one package, you have a formidable force. (laughs) And that's why I think he's making some of the uh, establishment media jittery, the Toronto stars of the world, the Globe and Mails of the world. They see a guy who really walks the walk. But not only that, unlike Scheer, he's a lot more eloquent in making his case for it, which again, I think will appeal to young people who see, um, frankly, the promises of the left uh, having gone unfulfilled and uh, frankly, uh, ringing hollow and empty. And so maybe a guy like Paul Yev will have some appeal. He's he's a young guy and um, I think a force to be reckoned with. So as I say, that's that'll be the fight. Uh, I think Chade's appeal will probably be 
amongst more uh, establishment, old school PC types. Um, you know, those, you know, the little Laurentian types, you know, maybe a lot of people in, in Quebec and Ontario, people who see the old, uh, you know, Mulrooney gang as, as having been the rightful PC brand keepers. And so he, he would come from that school. But we shouldn't forget that, um, you know, things might have been very different. History may have gone a, in a very different direction if Chardet had won the leadership of the PC party instead of Kim Campbell. Um, in that election, I think that was the year of the wipeout, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the PC party wipeout. I'm not saying that the conservative, that the PC party would have won that election, but I think under Chardet, they would have performed a lot better a lot better than they did under Kim Campbell, who ran a terrible campaign <laughs> full of blunders. And um, they yeah, had making fun of uh, Chrétien's face, one of the, probably the worst yeah, of all time. The yeah. Bell's palsy thing. And yeah. so, she actually made it possible for for uh, you know, people to feel sorry for Jean Charest, uh, of all people. So you know, it was a terrible campaign. But I think that uh, if Charest had been the leader of the party back then. A lot of Quebecers who were not particularly fond of uh, Jean Chrétien would have sided with, would have voted for, for uh, Charest rather than, say, a Kim Campbell who was way off in the other end of the, of the country and seen as kind of flighty. And, uh, and so, you know, life would have been, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, if you want to play alternate universe sometime, what might have happened if Charest had actually won instead of Kim Campbell, what that election would have looked like. But well, I mean, we'll never know, but it is an interesting question for, to, to ponder. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a risk of uh, increase in Western alienation, which is already you know, at an extremely high level, if Sheree were to lead the Conservative Party and if he was seen as you know taking them even more in the direction that Aaron O'Toole is trying to go in? Do you think that's gonna cause a split? I mean, if you look at the regional breakdown, of the MPs who've announced who they're supporting. It's, it's you know, Polyev has pretty strong support in the West. Chere has, you know, a little bit of support in Quebec. The Conservatives don't have many MPs there uh, to begin with, but he's doing well among the few they do have. So do you think that could split not just the party, but potentially the country? Well, it's interesting that Chere chose Calgary to announce mm -hmm. his uh, decision to run. So that's very mm -hmm. telling. Uh, that's his dog whistle to uh, Western Canadians saying, hey, I'm your guy, all right? Um, and so he knows that. He knows that he's not trusted in the West mm -hmm. uh, because of what he has done with cap and trade and, uh, and gun, so- Gun issues, uh, gun registry. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff. And so Chardet has <coughs> major work cut out for him if he is going to win the West, huge. And uh, you know, Paul Yev has often spoken about the fact that he grew up in, in Alberta and uh, even though he's an Ottawa area guy. And um, so I, I think he, he's going to have um, the edge going in because people have never heard him fluctuate that much from the conservative message. In fact, uh, I can't really count the number of times that he has not, even on the fingers of one, of, of one finger, when he has deviated from his consistent message that we need to get our um, house in order financially, that we need to bring down taxes, that we need to unleash 
Canadian energy, all those things that we need to scrap the carbon tax. You know, he's not, like I said, a recent convert to those types of arguments. He's always believed that. And uh, when O'Toole went in a different direction, well, you just didn't hear from from Poilier very much. And then now it's even working in his favor that he was demoted from mm -hmm. his uh, post, his original post as finance critic, if you'll recall. People said that that was a signal that uh, he was being kind of slapped down um, because he was getting too big for his britches, that he wasn't towing the party line. People saw it in, in those terms. But now that uh, O'Toole's gone, where I think Westerners will look at that and go, well, there was a guy who didn't play along with O'Toole at the time. And so he got punished for it. And so to me, that's a reflection of the fact that he was never on side with the O'Toole agenda of uh, this other type of carbon levy or whatever they want to call it. So he's got a hard toe to, I think, I think Shade is going to have a tough time convincing people that's all of a sudden that he's a pro-energy guy and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. Um, in terms of Western alienation, as I said, I think the Tories need to get this right. If, if they bring in a guy like Shade, the establishment guy, which is quite possible that they will, then um, I think yeah, there's going to be a serious schism when you add to that um, the issues around energy in Canada and uh, you know the canceling vote of Keystone. I realize this, that's been an American thing, but you never got you never had the sense that the Trudeau really believed in it or wanted it to happen. Yeah, he never seemed too upset. No, and then you have you know the line. I think it's line five issues with uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, and so all these things, is it a line five or line nine? I can't remember. I think it's line. I think five. it's five. Yeah. And so you have those types of issues and, um, and the, the ongoing carbon taxes. And so that's going to really hurt, I think, Chade, because these carbon taxes are going to continue eating into, um, Canadians ability to, to make ends meet. And the liberals are all in on these carbon taxes. And so if a guy like Shade were, were to come along and say, well, fine, we'll stop the increases, you know, uh, it's enough. You know, we're not going to keep increasing them steadily until 2030. You know, we're going we're going to freeze them. If he if he tries to do that in order to to kind of placate the party's centrist wing, um, I think it's going to fall. He's going to fall flat on his face, especially as Canadians uh, suffer more and more under high prices of fuel and um should i better get this right i mean if he tries to have it both ways a placate uh, you know his uh centrist wing in uh, in in quebec in ontario while also reaching out to the west and saying hey i can win you know trust me you know and westerners will say well so what if you win i mean if the same policies that we have now are going to continue under a conservative government, then we don't give a damn whether you win or not, because the, what we want is change. So are you the change candidate or are you the status quo candidate? Are you the establishment candidate? And that's where I think uh, people are going to have to make the decision. That's where the rubber hits the road. And if Paul Yev can make the case, no, look, I am the change candidate. Uh, that guy is going to mean the same road that we're on. He's already started. We've already seen that. Polyev was early on attacking 
Sade saying he's just another Trudeau. And that is going to be a tough thing to overcome if you're Jean Sade and his supporters. Yeah, speaking of things for him to overcome, uh, there's the Huawei issue. And that's obviously going to be discussed more and more, you know, especially if Sade is seen as getting momentum. Are you surprised that he thinks the conservative base is fine with that? Or I guess he must seem to think it's not an issue or else he wouldn't be planning to run. But I mean, I think that's going to be an extremely tough sell for a lot of people, especially given that he was in that position. I think uh, an advisor to Huawei yes. when the two Michaels yeah. were in the Chinese prison. So that's going yeah. to be quite a challenge for him. Yeah, that's another major challenge, especially if China decides to continue its uh, saber rattling over Taiwan. I mean, if that turns into, that goes from being a, uh, you know, uh, a, a cold war in, in mm. terms of rhetoric mm -hmm. to being a hot war, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, his support of Huawei is going to be a big problem. And then I guess Shade would have to come out and say, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I'm no longer representing Huawei. But unfortunately, when once you did make the decision that you're prepared to support, take money, accept money from a regime in order to push a corporation which is seen as a security risk by our Five Eyes partners, then uh, you're going to be looked at as a risk, you know, as a guy who clearly uh, doesn't seem to care that much that the government that you have uh, take, you know, taken on as a client a uh, is spying on has been spying on Canadian companies is largely seen as their uh, the the reason why Nortel collapsed. We know that Nortel, a great Canadian company, was eroded from inside, uh, stolen from, spied on, and eventually capitulated and collapsed in a heap. Um, and now, of course, much of that technology was transferred over. And now we have Huawei trying to sell us the very technology. And I realize we're going back a ways. They've developed That's good for it. people to know, though. Yeah, a lot uh, of people yeah. aren't aware of that, unfortunately. Yeah, well, absolutely. But uh, people who work for Nortel, who had investments in Nortel, who were part of the pension program, which collapsed. And, um, and the more stuff starts to come out about how China has so uh, corrupted our institutions, bought off bureaucrats, bought off politicians, um, that is going to start to stain more and more uh, Mr. Chade's reputation. I mean, are you a freedom-loving person or, or are you also a type of, the type of guy who's pretty, you know, who's okay with Chinese-style dictatorship? Remember, this is a regime that we have known, you know, runs forced labor camps, you know? Uh, China is no friend of the West. Why are you playing footsie? Why are you taking money from a regime like that? And especially so, considering, yeah. you know, the way one of the things that the conservative base dislikes most about Trudeau is his, you know, perceived either connections to China or his weakness towards China. And so to think that you're going to go from him to someone who worked for a state-run company from China, that, that, that seems a little crazy to me. Yeah. And now we've got uh, Huawei stores opening up, my understanding. So um, this idea that somehow we were keeping Huawei out, and by the way, a decision has never been made, to my knowledge. Yeah, it's always been you a know, few uh, a few weeks away for yeah, years. So yeah. the non-decision is the decision. 
So the idea that he's just the fact that he has never come out and said we're banning them. Well, that's his way of saying we're not banning them. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, the non It's a non-decision decision. Um, and so there it's so I, I would predict that that same thing is going to continue that, uh, you know, it, it may come up. Maybe the odd reporter will say, well, what are you going to do about Huawei? You're going to continue with the 5G with the 5G rollout, the courtesy, and so Huawei is involved in it. I think uh, the, the tech company, the te- our telecom companies are embedded with Huawei and with, with the Chinese. And so all of them have a stake in the status quo. And that's why I say that's, I mean, getting back to your original question about why the Globe and Mail would be much more comfortable with a guy like Sade than with with uh, Paul Yev, it's because they don't want, they like things the way they are. That even even though they suck for a lot of people, they're good for the establishment. The establishment gets his face in the trough. Media continues to get millions and millions of dollars. Uh, you know, they get their advertising from, you know, from, from government. They get, uh, if, if you're a telecom company that owns a, uh, a media company, well, it's that ongoing cottage industry of, uh, lobbying and you know comfortable decisions like the one we just saw with Rogers and Shaw to take over that should have never happened and uh, it's just it's just a very cozy existence amongst the elites the, I mean, I'm talking about the corporate elites the media elites um, the, the bureaucrats and the politicians it's a very cozy little existence that they've created for themselves greased with tax dollars and they don't the Globe Mail and others don't want to mess with that they've got it pretty good they've had it pretty good under Trudeau and uh, you know they don't want to rock the boat and the guy like Paul Yev he looks like a guy who might rock the boat they're not for they're not sure but they think he might be one of those guys that rocks the boat and so they want to bring in the safe uh, centrist uh, fat cat politician career politician who uh will not shake things up too 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 much just kind of continue on you know maybe be a slightly different so this is the unit party right <laughs> this is what they want this is what the establishment just the establishment wants the uni party they want it doesn't matter whether you vote tory or liberal we win mm-hmm. and that's that's the way they like it and they don't want uh, any Trump type characters coming in and shaking things up. And so don't be surprised if that starts to happen, where they start labeling Paul. Yeah, may, they may have done it already. Well, yeah, as, well, they're, uh, well, they Canada's keep calling Trump. him a, a populist. That's the thing they're trying right. to say. So that's, that's where they're going. That's where the smear is going. Oh, you want to like Trump? You know, that's Paul. Yeah, that's our Trump. Um, and so. That'll be that'll be the fight that the Kualiev is waging now. And, uh, you know, he's got a fight on his hands, too, because he's not only going up against uh, the other candidates, the, the Chardes of the world. He's got to go up against the media establishment that feels threatened by him and wants to undermine him. They do not want him to win. I can tell you that. We've talked a lot about uh, Polly Evans Sheree. What do you think about Leslie Lewis and uh, Patrick Brown? What do you think their impact is going to be? Well, I've heard the story that Patrick uh, might be one of those guys that could come up the middle. 
one of these guys that is uh, a very hard worker and he's, he's proven that many times in the past. And one thing that, uh, Paul, yeah, that we're, we're seeing from Brown is a lot more talk about the importance of moving on with getting rid of the mandates uh, enough already with uh, the Vax pass. I mean, he hasn't gone maybe quite that far, but he has spoken consistently about the need to get small businesses moving again. And, uh, you know, the fact that it's time to drop the mandates, you know, at least at least plan to drop them completely, not just partially. But uh, and I think he's so he started to take a page a little bit out of Polyev's playbook, which is to say he he could sense that a lot of people are pissed off in Ontario and right across the country. And so he I think he wants to be seen as the guy who could also do that. Uh, you know, friend of friend of small and medium sized businesses, uh, a guy who was mayor of Brampton. And so he's sort of rehabilitated himself, performing, you know, reasonably well throughout the uh, the pandemic. And so that's how I think he how he saw that position uh, as mayor. Um, and he will outwork everybody. That's his main, uh, I think, attribute. Except Polyev is no slouch either. And Polyev's, as I said, he's a young guy too. And so these are people that are not afraid to roll up their sleeves and work very hard to gain the support. I think Brown could surprise some people. I think he would have to be perceived as a dark horse at this moment, but you can't rule him out entirely. He's a guy that could surprise people. And so I don't underestimate uh, Brown, and I don't think anybody should underestimate Brown. Uh, he's a fighter. He's a, he's scrappy, and um, you know I, I think a lot of people perceive that he was wrongly treated by the media and by uh, the PC party of Ontario the way he was drummed out of the party. I'm not saying it was a good thing or a bad thing in terms of what they did or how they did it. I'm not going to judge. Yeah, I wasn't I think, a fan of the the way that went down. I mean, yeah. the speed with which it happened, the they didn't even really give much of a chance to push back. It felt it felt very, and that was the height of uh, all the Me Too discussion in the media in the United States too, right? So there was certain that kind of uh, snowball effect where the media jumps on something and it just gets out of control. Yeah, and Canadians are notoriously uh, fair people, and. Mm. You know, don't be surprised if some of them feel that they owe him a make good. You know what I'm saying? Like, a, mm -hmm. at least in Ontario, there might be some people in Ontario who think, you know, that was wrong. He, he was uh, mistreated and uh, the, he was smeared and drummed out of the party. And, uh, you know, maybe he deserves a shot at this. So, you know, there may be an element of a little bit of that where people say, well, you know, you know, if the ref, you know, penalizes one team unfairly, then <laughs> you get the sense that somewhere in the game there's going to be a penal, a penalty level, level levied against the other team. <laughs> you know, they could yeah. all make up call. They yeah. want to, yeah, make up call. They want to balance the scales a little bit. You know, is that going to be a key factor? Probably not. But you know, in the minds of some, it may play in. Um, as for Leslin. Um, she will have learned a lot, I think, during her time in, in Ottawa. I think she'll, she managed to get quite a lot of support 
last time around. And uh, I think she surprised a lot of people. I think she's she's very intelligent. But the thing you really like about her is that she's not really a politician. You still get the sense that she's more of a human being rather than a politician. <laughs> <laughs> I really said that politicians are people. But you really get the sense that she's an outsider, mm -hmm. somebody that you could kind of have a conversation with as a person, not who's so guarded and so locked into uh, talking points that you really get the sense you're not really talking to anybody. I've had her yeah. on the show once, and the only, it was the only time she came on the show. I think she probably see, sees me as a guy, maybe is a little dangerous or somebody who's going to ask her stuff that she doesn't want to be asked. And I understand that she's guarded, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's careful. Um, could she make a difference, possibly? Could she be, uh, you know, a king or queen maker type of person? Maybe. I think uh, she's a decent person, and I like that. And also, I think she was kind of kept out of the loop by O'Toole a little bit. And so uh, there might also be a sense that, you know, hey, she deserves a chance here. Uh, so let's listen to what she has. And the other thing about both of those people, Brown and Lewis, they're both very ambitious people. These are people who are never going to be satisfied being second or third banana, you know. <laughs> uh, they're always going to be striving for the top job. And, um, you know, I th the idea of having... You know, a woman, uh, a black woman running uh, as a conservative, that has a lot of appeal for conservatives who want to beat back this ongoing smear by the left that the party somehow is racked with racists and Nazis and all this garbage. And so um, there's some of that, too. You know, I think the, the identity politics side of it could come in. But I, I think that Lesson is smart enough and savvy enough to go beyond that, you know, to, to mm -hmm. say, no, I, I, I'm more than just the identity, you know, the, the, the woman, the female, the black woman running, you know, there's a lot more substance to me than that. And so she's, she's going to do that. And I, I think she's, you know, she could do very well. Do I see her winning? No, unless there's a real surprise. <laughs> that would be, that would be a shocker, but good for her for jumping in. What impact do you think the, uh, I mean, it's, you know, you never want to, you know, talk about the political impact of world events too much, because especially when people are dying, but there is an impact in, all over the world with what's happening with Russia's attack on Ukraine. Do you think that would lead some people to look for uh, a charade type? Do you think some people say, oh, well, you know, the world's getting, you know, more scary. We want a supposedly serious person, even though, of course, running a province is not the same as running a country. Very different issues. And Trudeau, of course, has been an absolute mess. Do you think that's going to factor in, or do you see Charest trying to perhaps talk about that and you know, use that to boost his image? You know what? That's a good point. I think Charest is seen as a guy who could bring some stability on the world stage, a guy with respect. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember what his portfolios were in the Mulroney candidate uh, uh, cabinet. Do you remember what they were? Uh, uh, I know he was the youngest cabinet minister of all time. 28, I think. I don't know what, right. I what the position that was. But he's he served a bunch of roles. I mean, he's going yeah. to, I'm sure, so, claim he's got all the experience in the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so he, he got in when he was just 28 years old and he was appointed mm -hmm. to cabinet by Mulroney, who saw uh, a real potential there. And uh, I, he acquitted himself quite well. 
throughout that a number of federal cabinet positions between 1986 and 93. And, um, you know, I think you're right. I think that's that's a fair point that if people started uh, were looking at somebody who had some gravitas on the world stage, you know, a sense of diplomacy, uh, not a hothead, you know, then somebody like Shade would probably have some appeal. Uh, there's a guy who could go toe to toe with anybody on the world stage and not embarrass himself, you know. And so um, he could almost yeah, try to spin, that, a, yeah. spin the Huawei stuff, too. He could say, well, yeah. you know, I've been dealing with these kinds of people. Well, you know, I, yeah. I'm not a fan of Sheree, but I'm trying to imagine from his perspective how he's going to try to frame his campaign. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. I think he uh, he could very well uh, make a point. Where you say, look, you know, I, I've been there, you know, I've been a leader, I've been a premier, and uh, I've served key roles in government. And this guy, Pierre, he has not done any of that. And by the way, uh, Pierre uh, may talk a good game, but I know what it's really like out there. I know how to deal with people on the world stage. And so um, you want stability, you want gravitas, you want experience in a world that's a very dangerous place, not this upstart Poilyev who, uh, you know, really doesn't have that much experience. I think he, you know, he could use that as something to to bring to Canadians and make a case as to why he should be the guy, you know, just a bit more of a heavy hitter. At least he could argue that, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I think he, he could make the case that he has a lot more experience in gravitas um, that than uh, say Polyev does. How would you counter that if you were advising Polyev or if you were on his campaign? What would you say should be well, the response I would point to that? Out his mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to the degree that he's made some. Um, but you know, going right back, I mean, uh, to the Mulroney years, there there was a guy, you know. That was a key part of our history. And Sharé was in there. Sharé was, was a cabinet minister when we were dealing with South Africa, when uh, Mulroney was negotiating the acid rain contract uh, deal with, uh, with Reagan and free trade, right? Mm-hmm. And so those were things that helped shape the country and our ongoing trade relationship with our biggest partner. And uh, he was... I mean, he wasn't the top dog, Mulroney was, but you remember you had Thatcher in uh, in the UK, you had Helmut Kohl in Germany, you had Reagan, and um, you you know, and you had of course the Cold War, and so you had to you know negotiate uh, that you know uh, between the, the old Soviet bloc. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, so you could say times are similar now, right? And I've been there. Yeah. And then, of course, he would have also been there during the collapse of the Soviet Union when that broke apart. And so here's a guy who could point with with a certain amount of uh, uh, credibility, a lot of credibility. Say, look, I've been here. I've I've been there during when the world was shaken up with monumental. Uh, events and uh, I was part of that. Canada acquitted itself extremely well during those years. And so, how do you counter that? Well, that's a good question. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, because Polyev doesn't have any of that. 
what Paul Yev uh, has to play on is maybe the he could try as well. Shiro Shade. Um, yeah, Paul Yev was in the cabinet Harper era. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. He was there. And so what did Harper have to deal with? Well, Harper had to deal with 2008. And so uh, what year did Paul Yev finally get in? Trying to remember. What was the, was he 2011? Uh, okay, I'm going to have to go and check because that's, that's important. Uh, because if he was there during, I think it was 2011, my, uh, I stand to be corrected on that, but uh, let's see. Uh, okay, I'm just going through his uh, plan of, uh, okay. 2013 to 2015, Minister for Democratic Reform. Okay. And then Employment and Social Development in 2015. Okay. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have anywhere near quite the experience that uh so he's gonna he's gonna have to find and prick holes in uh Chade as being a guy uh who is corrupt probably <laughs> i'd go down that road because he there has been scandals right um he has been in, embroiled in scandals when he was premier of quebec and uh so i would go down that road can't trust him Probably, you know, maybe I would have gone down that road. I would yeah. certainly hit him with the with the uh, Huawei stuff and positions on issues that a lot of conservatives don't like. I'm sure, they'll go yeah, after exactly. That. So I would play those up as much as possible. You know, you don't want to play to his strengths, mm -hmm. and uh, he does have strengths. You can't deny the fact that he has strengths. But um, so you've got to get a, a pick away at his weaknesses. And um, I think he's already started that, as I said, referring to him as a, just another Justin Trudeau. Yeah, it looks like I Senator think, Leo Hussakos is uh, going to be kind of the one of the attack dogs for. Yeah, I, I was Wilson. wrong. He's, he has served as he has served as a member of Parliament since two thousand and four. Member of the Conservative yeah, we were talking about ministry. Uh, a ministry, yeah. yeah. So he would have been there. So he was certainly there as a caucus member in two thousand and eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the government caucus, as the government uh, dealt with the uh, the global uh, crisis, right, the subprime crisis in in uh, you know the the bank crisis, the collapse of of Lehman Brothers, recession, Bear Stearns, yeah. Uh, so, and the you know keeping the economy on the rails, and so I think he has he can make that case, but was he in cabinet? No. But he was, you know, he can make the case that he was there learning and uh, being part of that government that navigated uh, Canada through those uh, rocky waters. So I think he can make, he'd probably make that case. But that's not his strength right now. I think his strength is I'm your change candidate. He's that mm -hmm. guy's your establishment guy. That guy represents the status quo. If you like the status quo, then, you know, I'm not your guy, but I'm betting that. Most conservatives don't want the status quo. They want change. We need to move in a, in a direction that is pro-business, that is pro-growth, that is pro-energy. And if that's what you want, I'm your guy. He's not. He's the guy who brought in carbon tax. He's the, brought in, he's the guy who brought in cap and trade. And you want him to change the economy? You want him 
to reignite Canadian entrepreneurialism? Well, he's not the guy to do that. Mm -hmm. He didn't do it in Quebec and he's not going to do it as prime minister because that's not who he is. That's what I would do. And so, uh, you know, it's like a boxing match, right? If, if if, If you know that a guy is a hard puncher, well, you know, you, you don't want to get hit. And so stay away from his strength. And, you know, he does have strengths. He does have some gravitas. He was there and he can make a case that I've been there and I can, I can navigate uh, Canada through the harsh waters because I was there during the, the 80s when the world was changing. Um, and this young guy wasn't. And so, um, so that's, I think, you know, that's where, it's, that, that's where the battle is and then then a guy like uh, brown could come up and say hey wait a minute here guys you know <laughs> settle down you know uh and so he's gonna his problem is probably gonna be you know being heard you know when you've got these two and uh a lot of people are going to be portraying this as a battle between old and new you know and maybe that's old and new and and change and, and the status quo with the old being shot represented by Sade, the establishment represented by Sade, the status quo, the, you know, steady as she goes type of guy. Uh, nothing, you know, and, and Poilievre was gonna be playing on, frankly, uh, a lot of frustration, you know, the convoy, the convoy folks, although he's not gonna be, he's gonna be careful about aligning himself too closely with, with them, but, to, to him, he's got to seize on the fact that Canadians are so angry right now. <laughs> Can, Canadians are sick and tired of this crap. Sick of the pandemic. Uh, sick of inflation. You know, sick of a slowing economy. And that's all getting worse. Carbon I mean, taxes. Inflation yeah. and the economy was a mess before yeah. the war in Europe. So, so if things suck. Um, then Polyev, I think, has the edge. Because if you're the status quo cabinet, uh, establishment guy, then a lot of people are going to think, no, we don't need more of the same. And so that's, if I was Polyev, I would paint Chade as a holdover from the past, a defender of the establishment, a guy who's not going to be favorable to change, a guy who's going to be defending the status quo. We don't want that. If you want more of that, then you might as well stick with Trudeau. You know, I'm the I'm your change guy. I'm the change candidate, and so that's I, I think that's where he goes, in my opinion. Whether he's listening, whether he's going to listen to me, I don't know, but that's what I would do. At what point do you think uh, Harper would step in, especially if it seemed like Charest was starting to do well? I noticed uh, two or three days ago. Uh, Laureen Harper retweeted something that uh, I think Polyeva tweeted. And, I mean, you can't necessarily read too much into that, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if you know Harper is leaning towards uh, Polyev as, as the candidate he wants to win. Do you think if it seemed like Sheree was actually starting to get some momentum, do you see Harper stepping in with a, an explicit endorsement of Polyev or denunciation of Sheree? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Shana and Harper had a cup of coffee in Calgary. I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. And the answer is no, I don't think so. I don't think Shadi would be running if he felt that Harper was going to be an issue. Like last time, he was going to run. 
and uh, Harper did step in. He said some things, and Shade backed off. Yeah, he stepped now, down from the conservative fund, I think, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so this time, he's running, and so I'm not saying that Harper is a spent force, but he clearly it's been a few years now, and uh, yeah, 2015 to 2022. Let's just say um, he, he's moved on, and uh, I don't think he's going to be a factor this time around. I really don't. In my in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he may have stepped in last time, maybe Lorraine, you know, she's going to continue tweeting or whatever. But I think to the degree that Harper is going to be actively involved in undermining uh, Sade, I don't think that's going to be the case. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah, I guess a lot will depend on how uh, Sharae portrays himself too, right? If he starts talking about really changing the party, then I think that will draw the ire of, you know, Harper and Harper supporters. It's interesting though. Jenny Byrne, I think she's she's uh, she's close to Harper, and she's been really going after Sheree lately. So I don't know. It's you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Harper uh, if he thinks Sheree's going to take the party in a different direction if he if he doesn't want to see that happening. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. Harper does have a long memory, and um, I think we saw that with what happened with uh, with Peter McKay. Mm. And um, so, you, you know, you could be right. You could be right. But I, you know, I, to me, I, I don't think Shade, if Shade thought that was going to be a make or break issue, I don't think he would be running. And so that's my take on it for, for what it's worth. Um, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, I, you're right that uh, people like Jenny Byrne are involved and that's fine. But you know, does that mean that the boss is going to be involved? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Speaking of uh, McKay, do you see him running this time? Mm, I have not heard that he will. Um, you know, I, I, he's, uh, he still he took on a lot of debt last time around. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's an unfortunate situation. From having run a, uh, a failed leadership bid, I think he's still a player in the wings. But in terms of running, I don't see it. Maybe you know, if if uh, part of the party decides that he, uh, you know, deserves another shot, maybe they will uh, get him and entice him with with some support and say, hey, you know, we want you. But I think uh, I think that's that ship seems to have sailed. Although he has been fairly active in the media lately with writing columns for post media and so forth on the Russian situation, you know he has a lot of credibility. Um, he's a he's a guy who would have a lot of appeal in a uh, in a world where there's a lo- there's war, there's uh, tensions in Asia, and um, you have you know weak leadership in the United States from the very top. You know, a guy with, with Peter's experience, I think, would be welcome on the world stage. He would have kind of the same type of gravitas as uh, as a Shade would. Um, so more recent experience, though. So he's he's dealt with the Chinese. He's dealt with the Americans. He's dealt with the Russians. And so, you know, he's been involved in these types of hotspots uh, over the years. And so if you're looking for a guy, he was defense minister. He was attorney general. This is a guy with a lot of experience in gravitas. 
to me, it seems insane that he didn't win last time around. I mean, it's it's almost bordering on the bizarre when you compare his experience with with O'Toole's. I mean, how does that even happen? And yet he did lose, or mm-hmm. something happened anyway. And so um, anyway, that's so so that's the situation. I, I don't see him running. Um, it would be interesting if he did, though. I mean, adding him to a pretty solid lineup. Now you're talking about. You know, it would be there would be quite a few, you know, kind of big mark marquee names. You're talking about marquee names running, right? People with people like Polyev and and Chade and uh, and Brown, you know, and you know maybe if a guy like Peter and and, and Leslin, you know, these are these are known people, mm-hmm. and it would be another indicator that uh, everybody feels that now is the, the it's the the time to get rid of the liberals is really at hand. It wasn't before. It wasn't with with Sheer. They knew that the, there were defeats that were going to be, uh, you know, dished out. That people were not quite ready to dump the liberals. But now everybody, you, the reason you're seeing these marquee names come into the race, is that people think, okay, people are really sick of these <laughs> these liberals. Last time they only won with 32 percent. People are sick of inflation. People are sick of the economic pain that they must endure. They're sick of the games. They're sick of the foolishness. You know, they're sick of the treatment of, of, of peaceful protesters. They're sick of the mandates. So that's it. They, they sense, you know, these these politicians, they, they know the change is in the wind. And so now is the time you want to win that leadership. And so, you know, it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if Peter did run. Uh, I don't see it, but who knows? It could surprise me. Speaking more broadly about uh, change in the country, I think, you know, obviously we're going to see even more severe economic damage going forward. You know, gas prices surging, inflation surging. You know, there's going to be food price increases because obviously Russia and Ukraine are both, uh, you know, key sources of wheat. So what do you, do you think, you know, I wrote an article uh, yesterday about how the, you know, the green delusion could be coming to an end. You know, this idea that, oh, we can just, we don't need to produce our own resources and we can just magically and easily shift to you know green energy i think that that kind of delusion is starting to break for people do you see a broader shift in the political spectrum going forward you know perhaps towards more of a a realism based uh, both economic and foreign policy or do you think i'm being perhaps a little bit too hopeful there no because pain uh brings about that impetus impetus right people can have these grandiose uh, ideas and delusions about uh, going green when things are good, when times are good, right? But when th- when times are not good, when you're pay- paying two bucks a liter for gas, when uh, inflation is destroying your capacity to make ends meet, and uh, your, your wages are not going up to meet those challenges, and uh, by the way, interest rates are going to start creeping up, and uh, so your your credit card payments are going up, your line of credit has become more expensive to pay down. Your mortgage has to be, uh, you know, renegotiated or whatever under different terms. All these things start to, you know, all of a sudden these types of pressures tend to jar people into a reality, right? You know, it's not this this fuzzy world of everybody's going to go green and we're all going to be on solar and wind and, and the world's going to be fantastic and the, the climate's going to stop changing. And, you know, you can indulge in that kind of airy-fairy thinking when times are good, but when times suck, 
then that will shake you out of your liberal media induced stupor uh, to the point that will that will uh, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's when you realize, okay, we have a government that sucks that is hurting me. We have a government that is using the club of environmentalism and you know climate change to to hurt my family. Now I'm having trouble putting food on the table. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we're quite there yet. We're not at the empty store shelf stage yet, but we're headed in that we're, we're not quite there at lineups, you know, at the gas pumps, but that's we're inching there. We're not, we're not hyperinflating, but we're getting dangerously close to a point where our cash is, is buying less and less and we're making, you know, relative to our wages. And so then you're starting to divide people according to, well, those public servants with, with their index pensions and their, mm-hmm. and their raises and, you know, fat salaries with their, you know, all of a sudden that gap starts to get bigger and bigger. And then you start having resentment built in the, in the Canadian people and the Canadian psyche. Well, all of a sudden this other stuff starts to fade off into the distance. You know, you're starting to look at that stuff and go, what's, yeah, right now, climate change is not high on my priority list. In fact, I would argue that it's never been, you know, that's, uh, that's an issue that the left, the progressives keep pushing up to the fore and their bought off media keeps uh, trying to elevate it and amplify it. But the average person doesn't care a damn about that. They know the climate is what it is, you know, and so. And I think um, people are seeing too, the, the consequences of basically you know, outsourcing energy production. You know, you don't get less energy in the world. You just get uh, energy produced in other parts of the world. And those parts of the world can be Russia and they can use that money to buy weapons and then invade Ukraine. So I think that's going to wake up a lot of people, too, that there's real costs and serious consequences to a lot of these, you know, feel good policies we've been uh, imposing lately. Yeah, well, these feel good policies are feel bad policies Mm -hmm. now. And uh, more and more people, I mean, it really takes a lot of shaking. Um, But. You, you keep making the case, I, I do, and I know that you've done so as well. Why are we using our own energy? We've got the energy here in Canada. Why are we uh, kneecapping our resource sector? Why are we hurting Canadian jobs? Why are we doing this? Why are we playing, paying the global price for you know, Saudi oil, Venezuelan oil, Nigerian oil, Russian oil, when we could be benefiting our own country with our own fuel? And why is it you know, more benef- beneficial to the environment to bring oil in via tanker from across the ocean than it is in using pipelines to transport our own oil. And so, you know, you, you hammer that in enough times, you know, and people start, oh, maybe that does sound, you know, like I don't really understand either. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot to get through to people, but when they're hurting, they're listening. And that's why I think it might be Polyev's time now, right? Is people are hurting. And when they're hurting, they're looking at for change. They're not, they're not looking for the status quo. They're saying, mm-hmm. this sucks now, okay? I'm not happy. Who's gonna bring about change? Who's the change guy? Are you the change guy? You, and you're the one. Are you the change guy? No, you're yesterday's man. You're the status quo guy. No. So 
you know, timing is everything, right? In these races, mm -hmm. could Poilievre have won uh, two years ago? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not, right? But you know, when you have the right forces come together, you know, and the right person, you know, present it as an option, who says he's got the answers. And he's got some credibility to what he says because he's been saying the same thing for years. Well, then it starts to make sense, right? Yeah, and that could be the counter to Charest's experience argument. You know, Polyev, you know, his supporters can say, well, Jean Charest's promising to do what has already been done, but that's led us to the position we're in, right? So why would you want to continue the same kind of thinking that, you know, makes it impossible for so many people to own a home? You know, prices are surging. You know, you can't fill up your car without, uh, you know, emptying your wallet. And so I think that could be an effective counter to what Charest's going to say is, you know, he's going to say, well, I'm, I'm the experienced candidate. I know how to deal with these problems. Well, his way of thinking, you know, and, and other people has led to a lot of these problems. I mean, a good yep. example is energy policy, right? I mean, this whole idea that we've been, you know, virtue signaling about not using our, our own energy, but still buying it from other places and enriching those countries. And now we see the consequences of that. And so I think, you know, Polyev is someone who has the toughness to say that. He's not going to be polite about it. He's not going to, you know, try to spare people's feelings. He's going to say, look, you know, green energy policies led to, you know, a lot of the things we're seeing go wrong in the world. And if we want to fix that, then Canada needs to use our own energy. So I think it's going to be a very interesting race. Uh, I think, as you say, it is many ways a battle for the soul of the party. And uh, I don't know if, if it doesn't go well for the party. I don't know if they're going to survive in their current form. It could be quite divisive for them. Uh, I couldn't agree more. This is a make or break uh, for mm -hmm. the Tories. If they don't get this right, as I've said in the past, then it's maybe another three or 400,000 votes for uh, for the PPC. And now you're over a million votes. And now you're in 15% range to 20% range. And um, now you're a serious player. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, the, the, the Tories, the Conservative Party, this is a turning point for them. And I, everybody can feel it. Everybody can feel that this is a turning point for the party. And so we'll see what they what they do. Some people think that these races have been rigged, that they have been uh, unfair. <laughs> and so I think my recommendation is for Poilievre supporters, you want to win this thing, you better win it by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You don't better, want to be close. Huh? Don't win. Yeah, don't win by, you know, 0.5% because you're going to lose. You know, just ask uh, Max Bernier, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's the other thing is just the credibility of the party to, you know, to, to be able to present the, this image that, that they're, they're having fair uh, realist races. That's been tarnished badly. And so that's another problem that they have now. Is this the credibility of the party to have leadership races that uh, that are credible? And so, if you come out of that thing and you know a stunning victory by uh, by a shot, eh? he was trailing, and wow, look at that! Look what happened on the uh, you know thirteenth ballot. Wow, <laughs> you know um, it flew last you know back in twenty seventeen or whatever it was when Sheer won. But um, this time, I just think it's, it's going to fly because Canadians, you know, conservatives do have options, do have an option. And so anyway, it, it'll be an interesting race, though. I, mm -hmm. I think this is going to be the most interesting conservative party race in a long time.
And so, um, and I'm glad you're going to be around to, uh, to help uh, us understand what's going on, Spencer. Mm -hmm. No, really uh, appreciate you joining us today. It's been a great discussion and I'm sure we'll be having many more. It's, you know, they say you may live in interesting times and we certainly live in those uh, lately. So yeah, perhaps exactly. a bit too interesting. So, but yeah. uh, where's the where's the best place for people to, uh, you know, find your uh, content and, uh, you know, listen to you in, and uh, read what you're saying? If you're in the GTA, uh, the Great Runway, you can listen to Saga 960. If you're, um, uh, if you like AM radio, talk radio, and you can find us at uh, 960 AM on the dial. And uh, if you are outside of GTA, you want to check out my work um, uh, with Saga 960, you can check out my podcast. You can listen online at Saga960AM.ca. We stream live. And so you can listen to the show from 1 p.m. Eastern to 3 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, you can, uh, if you Google the Mark Petrona show, you can find me on uh, all sorts of platforms, including uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, Spreaker, and uh, many that I don't even know. <laughs> all right, we'll make sure to get those links out there for everybody as well, help spread the word. And again, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, sir, so much for having me on the show. Uh, Spencer, thank you. You're welcome.